When I was living in Hawaii, I had a spiritual coach. Her name was Puanani Burgess. I'm assuming her name still is, so I should say her name is Puanani Burgess, and she's an ordained Tendai Buddhist priest. She's also a community activist and leads a ton of workshops and board developments and all that good stuff. And the way that she would introduce groups of people to one another is not the typical Western way of say your name and what do you do for a living, right? Instead, she utilizes an exercise called guts on the table. I know some of you are thinking that sounds kind of gross. I don't know if I would want to engage in an exercise that talks about guts. But in the Hawaiian tradition, this place is the core of our being. This is also called the na'au or the pico. And indeed, when we think about it, isn't that how we enter into the world? Is through the umbilical cord that was tied to our mother initially, but then was cut off at some point, right? So what better way to reconnect with one another than go back to the seat of where we came from? And indeed, don't we know that a lot of our knowledge and our wisdom really comes from the gut area? That's why we have this expression, listen to your gut and what it tells you, right? And again, that's kind of odd because in the Western world, I use the word core, for example, and that comes from the Latin C-O-R, core, which is where we get the Spanish corazón, or in French, le cœur, to talk about the heart. So we think in the Western world that the heart is at the core of our being, but in Hawaiian tradition, it's really the pico or the na'au or the gut. So the guts on the table exercise entails three questions. The first is about what is your name, but it's more a question of where did your name come from? And since I'm using this as an opportunity to introduce myself to you, a few of you are probably wondering where the heck did Jennifer come from? That's a very unusual name, and I might add, very appropriate for an unusual person, right? And that is the way you pronounce it. It's like Jennifer, but with an O, so Jennifer. And as you all know, I grew up in the Philippines. I was born and raised there. And my mom, when she was coming up with a Western name, because I have a Chinese name as well, which I'll get to in a few here, thought, what would be a unique name that would have three syllables and begin with the letter J? Jonathan isn't very unique, but if you mash up Jonathan and Christopher and hybridize it, you get Jennifer. And I guess I have my mom to thank that I could have the URL and the domain all to myself of jennifer.com, right? And these days, I probably don't even need a last name. I could be like Cher or Madonna, 
you know, just have a first name since nobody else in the world has it. Although lately I've Googled it and I've YouTubed it and apparently there's a Bollywood star out there named Jonifer as well. So I should have copyrighted that so that I would get royalties from this Bollywood star, but apparently that's not the case. And then you may notice that my other name is Ku Pono. Ku in Hawaiian tradition is the god of war and Pono means to be in right relationship or it could also be interpreted as justice. So if you combine the two words together, I was talking to, again, my spiritual coach about this. I was like, why do I have such a violent name, you know, named after the god of war? And this, this name, by the way, was given to me by the Reverend Kekapa Lee, who is a Hawaiian kahu, a, a, a Hawaiian um, minister. And um, so she said that, if you really think about it, Ku and the God of War doesn't necessarily have to be a violent one. You could interpret it as a struggle for justice. And indeed, isn't that what you've been doing all your life? You've been struggling for justice as an activist minister. So the piece of paper that I was given says Ku Pono means the righteous one. And my Chinese name is Li Da, which also loosely translates to standing upright for courage and for what you believe in. It all makes sense, doesn't it? And who knows where these names come from and who knows if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy or not, but eventually I've come to reclaim my name as part of who I am and part of what my ancestors have bestowed upon me. The second question asked when it comes to getting to know each other better is what gift do you bring to the table? What is your superpower? What is the one and only thing you were put on this planet to do? And I know that the water communion, that's what we did earlier, isn't it? So I found it very appropriate that we had that opportunity to name our gifts. I heard a lot of people talk about love as being part of your gift, or community, or justice, or even having a spare bedroom for your grandchildren to stay in is a gift, right? Especially here in the city of New York. So that's the second um, uh, topic of conversation or query about who one is. The third is home. What would you consider to be your home? And again, I know when it comes to that question in the Western world, especially, the first question that one might ask is, where were you born, right? Or another way to frame it is, where are you from? Now, I wanna make a comment about that second question because I don't know how many of you have seen this YouTube video called, what kind of Asian are you? right? It was on Comedy Central a few years ago. It was an interaction between a white guy and a Korean woman, and they were jogging. I forgot which park it was, but, you know, I don't know if he was trying to hit on her or trying to st just start up an innocuous conversation, but he kept probing of where are you from, and even though she said San Diego, California, 
He kept wanting to ask about her ethnic background, and eventually it turned into a microaggression, right? So as a person of Asian descent, I keep getting asked that question all the time. And sometimes not so much out of a sense of curiosity necessarily, but as a way to otherize myself from the, the person who holds dominant culture usually. So instead of asking those questions, and I will answer it by saying, yes, I was indeed born and raised in the Philippines, right, for 11 or 12 years of my life. And my parents were the ones that chose to immigrate to the U.S. And we, um, event we settled initially in L.A., which is where they still are. That explains the shift of my accent from a thick, Filipinx accent to now a valley girl accent, like, oh my gosh, totally, right? So that's where I spent the majority of my life is both the Philippines and then LA, as in 20 or 30 years. But did I really feel at home in LA? Would those places be considered home for me now? As much as I love the Philippines and as beautiful as the country is and as beautiful as the people are, I never really felt like I quite fit in. I felt like it was very limited in terms of my ability to express myself theologically and the deepest parts of who I am. I never quite felt like whenever I go back that I would consider that to be my home anymore. And certainly it's a similar issue with LA, to be honest with you. Um, I kind of felt like folks from LA were kind of a bit shallow and I wanted to talk about more than just movies or my latest plastic surgery, right? No offense, by the way, to those who are tuning in who are my LA friends, I'm sure you're the exception to that rule um, or that stereotype, I should say, it's not a rule. And so I began to um, explore what it really meant to call a place home. And as, again, as many of you know, I was eventually called to be the settled minister at the First Unitarian Church of Honolulu. But even before then, I had planted another congregation, a metropolitan community church in Honolulu. So I was in and out of Hawaii, not once, but twice, served not one, but two congregations, and was involved with not one, but two different denominations, right? So I would say that if I were to pick a place where I would live, Hawaii is where I left my heart. And again, with apologies to that song, I left my heart in San Francisco. I don't know how many of you have heard of that song, right? That's probably gonna age you. It's a probably a generational thing, but I left my heart in Honolulu and Hawaii, and that is probably still the place where I'm going to retire. And after I moved back to the continent, after serving in Hawaii, I started traveling. So to be honest with you, I got wanderlust about 15 years ago. And I swear to God, it must be an official diagnosis because um, I still suffer from it these days. And even last year during my sabbatical, I went to 45 countries in 90 days, right? And all I had with me was a carry-on luggage. And so for those 90 days, that 
was my home. And even though I was traveling from place to place, I love what Starhawk said about it. Starhawk, by the way, identifies as both neo-pagan and um, an eco-feminist, says we are all longing to go home to some place we have never been, a place half remembered and half envisioned. We can only catch glimpses of from time to time. That's how I felt, that the world is my blue boat home. And last year was also the year I moved to the don't say gay state of Florida. I know someone wrote on the um, Joyce and Sorrows um, card about praying for uh, trans folks and really the entire LGBTQ plus community and the BIPOC community those folks are being assaulted in Florida and their rights being taken away as we speak. So I'm not gonna go into details about that, but let's just fast forward to two weeks ago when I finally packed up and left and barely escaped the hurricane to come to the Big Apple, the city of New York. And I must tell you, I've been here five or six times as a tourist but it's different when you know that you're actually gonna be living here and putting down some roots, at least for the next two years, right? And it felt very much like a homecoming to me, to be honest with you. Here I am having already subscribed to the New York Times for the past three years, right, on my app. And also riding the subway this time was a little different and walking around the city was a little different because I found myself all of a sudden getting into the pace of things and even saying some of the more commonly used lingo like get out of my way or move aside, watch where you're going, right? So I, I very much felt like it's, it's all beginning to sink in and I fit right in. And also the third element that I wanted to mention in terms of my feeling like, um, you know, I, I've, I've come home to New York is encountering those who are either temporarily or chronically houseless in our community. Now, I wanna mention the distinction between those two words, house versus home, right? A house, in my mind, is a building structure and it's a location with an address and everything, but home has a different feel to it for me. It has to do with not just what I mentioned of I left my heart in Hawaii as that's my home in a sense. But also today I wanna to explore the spiritual dimension of what it means to call something a home. And in order to do so, I wanna mention the three Bs. For me, a spiritual home is a place where you feel like you have a sense of belonging. Those of you who just recently got a letter from Soyal back there in terms of welcoming you as a new member may recall the African proverb that she quotes. It says, home 
is not where, you, where we live. Home is where we belong, right? So what does it mean to actually belong somewhere? Well, again, the TV show that comes to my mind is Cheers. I don't know how many of you have seen that TV show. It came out in the 80s. Yeah, a few of you out there. And remember the theme song? It says, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Remember that? So, you know, and indeed, Norm always tries this out, right? Every time Norm enters the room, everybody yells. A couple of people. <laughs> yeah, everybody yells Norm, right? And so Starhawk also uh, phrases it very well in that in the community somewhere, there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere, a circle of hands will open to receive us. Eyes will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. And again, when we were talking earlier this morning about what does it mean to call forth you your spiritual home, many of you mentioned that kind of feeling that you get whenever you come here every Sunday morning. And this is where I also want to challenge because I hear too often when people join Unitarian Universalist congregations is they say, I want to be in a place with other like-minded people. Have you heard of that expression before? And I kind of think, well, I don't know, sometimes that may get into groupthink, or worse yet, it creates this insular sense that we are the only ones who are exceptional enough to have a specific kind of progressive theology or a specific way of being. So instead, the phrase I'd like to use is one that has historically been attributed to Francis David, uh, a Transylvanian Unitarian, but actually upon further research, scholars have shown that it actually came from John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And it's a phrase that says, we need not think alike to love alike. That what if we were to bring our authentic self with our own unique qualities and attributes and backgrounds and cultures, and we were all to come here not to think the same way, but to bring our thoughts because all of what we do is grounded in love. So to show up authentically, to have a place where we belong is the first quality of a spiritual home. The second one I wanna mention is to just be, the letters B-E. And what a relief that is in society these days to not constantly be running around, be doing, 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 running from one meeting to the next, but rather to just be present and to be here now. Thich Nhat Hanh, a Zen Buddhist um, monk who recently passed away, has a gata, a poem, a song that says, I have arrived, I am home, in the here and in the now. Mindfulness for him is a key to entering our home, which is our bodies and our sacred vessel. Indeed, in Judaism, we hear of this word ruach to describe spirit. 
and spirit or ruach or breath enters the body again at birth. So when that doctor or that midwife spanks a baby in their tukash, right? That's when spirit enters us. So in that sense, all of us are the temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Wouldn't that make sense? And indeed, when Jesus in the Christian Testament encounters the Samaritan at the well, the conversation goes, well, you know, us Samaritans, we worship on this mountain, but we know that the Jews worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus was like, hey, hang on, wait a minute here. Is that really the only place where God can be found? After all, God is spirit, and whoever worships God worships God in spirit and in truth. So wherever truth is spoken, wherever we gather together and share our breath with one another, there the spirit is present, right? So I love that whole way of looking at it as even the church, this congregation, is not made up of a building as beautiful and fabulous as this building is, especially after the recent renovations and the fabulous lighting system that we have, right? But rather, the church is each and every single one of us. This is what makes it a spiritual home. And I love the way that the Community Church of New York has experimented with this whole idea. I'm not saying we follow suit in terms of selling the building, but these days, they go where that community, that group of people go, and that is their church, and that is their beloved community. And the last B I want to mention is the word becoming. Again, Starhawk says, community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done arms to hold us when we falter, a circle of healing, a circle of friends, someplace where we can be free. Becoming is a present progressive verb, meaning that it's an act that we need to constantly engage with. And indeed, that's what spiritual practice and spiritual growth means. It's not a once and done kind of thing, but rather something that we continually develop in this spiritual home. So I believe that here at Fourth U, our task and our responsibility is to strive and keep working for more justice in our world, to continue to show care for one another. My colleagues, Tandy and Sue, have a home in um, the Tacoma, Washington area. And you know how you could change the name, the pin on Google Maps, right, in terms of your name so that when you check in, you know, it has a description on it. They call it the house of becoming. Isn't that great? That within those spaces, every inhabitant gets to grow and develop and to, um, evolve into who they want to become and who they are called to be. The question for us this morning is, or this afternoon now, I suppose, is fourth you a spiritual home where you belong, where you can just be, 
where you can become your highest and best self. Now, the sad reality here in the city of New York, as big as it is, is that there are still so many who are spiritually homeless, who have yet to hear about the salvific message of Unitarian Universalism, of those who were kicked out, perhaps, of their spiritual homes of their childhood because of their unique gender identity, sexual orientation, or even quote-unquote heretical beliefs. Well, to those of you who fall in that category today, I want to welcome you home. I want to let you know that here in this space, you are welcome. And to all of us sitting here this morning and tuning in at home, I invite us now to take a deep breath together. Will you breathe with me, please? I want to welcome you home to your bodies, a sacred vessel for the spirit to dwell. And I want you to recognize, friends, that spirit is in you. Spirit is in me. Spirit is in all of us. Welcome home. <laughs> 